Podcasting from our secret compound in Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. Welcome to the Utah CTO Show. This is your host, Chris, again, and wanted to come to you this week with just a quick look back at some of our favorite episodes. But before we do that, one of the things that I wanted to just quickly throw out there, it was on my mind today because I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was interviewing for a C-level position. And the company that she was interviewing with had mentioned that their top four or five criteria were for hiring this person. And one of those was they had to be in Utah, either already here or willing to move to Utah. And that was one of the, if not the most difficult and challenging ones to find. And made me think, are there reasons why or significant reasons that maybe we don't recognize here in Utah, why people wouldn't want to move here to run companies or to lead engineering teams or be a part of a board? It's just really interesting to me as I'm thinking about this from the CTO show perspective, you know, we want to really grow engineering managers and sort of C-level, executive-level engineers and leaders from software development. And if we're going to do that, there's got to be reason to stay here in Utah, and there's got to be reason to come to Utah. Anyway, I just it was on my mind. I was just curious about it. I think we'll probably hit on it as another topic one of these days. But as we get into better understanding some of the reasons why and some of the needs that we have here in Utah to grow entrepreneurs and and C-level engineering managers and, and executives, I definitely want to hit on that topic. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. So hit us up on email or Instagram, any of our social media accounts. Let us know what you think. What are the things that Utah has that would entice people to come here? And maybe what are the things that would keep people from coming? Because I think those are all things that we should definitely be thinking about, talking about, working on together so that we can improve this culture and get more engineering leadership so we can be more successful as a whole in this area. So going back to some of our favorite episodes, I wanted to bring your attention back to Dave Stevenson, one of our earliest episodes. He's CTO at Simple Nexus, talks a lot about how he's able to grow his teams and sort of how he went from coding these iPhone apps in the early days to now running a, a large engineering team that's growing significantly. We loved having Dave on the show. Dave, if you're listening, it was a lot of fun. We'd love to have you again. So here you go, Dave Stevenson. All right. Welcome to the Utah CTO Show. I'm here with my co-host, Brett Flake. Hello. My name's Chris Jenkins. Welcome. We're glad to have you with us today. As we've mentioned in the past, our goal here is to help encourage engineers to become leaders and to launch your product or launch your app, get out there and be entrepreneurs as technical leaders here in Utah. We just need to grow that user base. Today, we're very lucky to have Dave Stevenson with us. He's CTO over at Simple Nexus. Welcome, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for both of you for doing this podcast. You know, I must admit, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome sitting here because you've interviewed legendaries <laughs> like Clint Berry, Ben Diltz, and Jason Taylor. And those, you know, I'm just to be in there, the same company is an honor. And, uh, you know, it's a great time to be in Utah and Utah Tech. So thank you. For sure. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, how Ben Diltz was talking about how uh, he built up that company before the VC stuff even really started in Utah. So it is kind of funny to think about them as Utah legends. But, yeah, exactly. But you're That's a legend fun. of <laughs> in and of yourself. So <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I, like Chris mentioned, I'm the CTO of Simple Nexus. In Simple Nexus, we sell software to mortgage companies, banks, credit unions. We've been around since 2011 and 11. We were a bootstrapped business, kind of a nights and weekends project with me and another uh, developer, Matt Hansen. 
And so here we are, and nine years later, eight years later, and we're kind of an overnight success, I'd guess. So it's uh, overnight, it's good like it was really, it was yeah. really simple, right? Exactly. Simple yeah. Nexus. <laughs> so you don't really see Simple Nexus in the wild. We uh, do what's called white labeling, and so our platform. You don't see Simple Nexus out on billboards too often, but you see our customers like Academy Mortgage, Citywide Home Loans. As you drive up and down I-15, you'll see them, and if you apply for a home mortgage through them, you're you're using our platform. So it's a cool to be a part of this. Uh, well, that's really cool about Simple Nexus, but maybe you could tell us about how you got started in tech in the first place. Yeah, that's a long story. I'm kind of an old dude, so I'm 43 and I'm a child of <laughs> you know the 80s and 90s. And back in high school, I kind of got into the game SimCity, oh, and uh, yeah. this is pre-internet days. And yeah. uh, I got online to figure out what was the largest city somebody had ever created. And I had to get onto Prodigy, if anybody <laughs> ever remembers that. Yeah. And from there, I started a BBS, a bulletin board system running yep. Renegade and Spitfire BBS system. And from there, the internet took off. I was the first kid in my high school to have an email address. Yeah. And since then, you know, I started out back in this company in Provo called InsureQuote. They were down in the East Bay area back when Coonies was down there and it kind of smelled and I was on the night shift doing some programming of insurance quotes. Yeah. And then I did uh, QA at Novell. And then since then, I got into the mortgage industry and have been with companies like Illumin and Nextlight and then Simplifile, who, you know, is just acquired today. And then now Simple Nexus. So... Yeah, fantastic. That's a lot of experience to have. <laughs> I love the description of South Provo as well. <laughs> I think it's similar still today. I mean, it's, it hasn't I, changed I a lot. I couldn't tell you. I wasn't around, around Provo at yeah. that time. <laughs> you know, and in between all of that tech, I started out as a Java developer kind of around 2005, kind of hit the entrepreneurial bug. Mm. And I started training for a, a marathon. And I had a problem where I couldn't figure out what runs I wanted to do, training runs. I'd have to do like an eight-mile run. So I got the Google Maps API was released. And so I built an app that lets you pre-map your routes out, you know, so Friday night I oh, yeah. plan out my maps. And so I created a company around that called Favorite Run. Ran that for a few years, turned into a co-location VPS hosting provider. And then I got into the iPhone app development in 2009 and launched iPhone app called Landscaper's Companion that did really well. And I did that on my own for a few years as an independent iPhone developer. So oh, good times. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you spent a lot of time kind of on your own as an entrepreneur. Yeah. A few years. Yeah. I have a few exits as small, you know, nights and weekends projects, but yeah. definitely cut my teeth uh, in the early days. <laughs> well, I think that's very good for our audience because that's exactly who's listening to our podcast, right? These are the guys that are building something nights and weekends but maybe haven't launched it or haven't started it yet. Like, do you have any advice for somebody that has built something, but they're not sure what the next step is? Yeah. You know, when you've got a full-time job, I tell people that just 15 minutes a day, it's a slog and it'll take a long time when you're doing, you know, you got your day job and you're trying to start something on the night, but just 15 minutes a night will really get you far. So just keep at it. A lot of nights. Yeah. A lot of nights and weekends and a patient family. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So you've kind of moved into this uh, CTO role. Maybe you can compare and contrast pros and cons being an individual contributor versus being the manager. That's a really good question. You know, yeah, like my passion is both being an engineer, but I also enjoy kind of the business or the people aspect. But in the early days of Simple Nexus, you know, heads down coding, we got up to about 20 people last summer, finally hired a VP of engineering who has really done a great job of handling the people side so that I can get back to kind of the architecture side. 
but I enjoy both equally. To me, nothing is more exciting than kind of getting into that flow state as an engineer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times it happens for me now on a Saturday afternoon. I come into the office, it's empty, and I can really get into that flow state. And it's a good times. Magic happens. (laughs) Awesome. So recently you tweeted about expanding an engineer's views of their role, right? And possibly changing even some vocabulary. Tell us more about that. Like, I don't quite understand what you were trying to say. And I would love to hear some of the vocabulary changes that you're thinking about. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have heard this, but, uh, you know, like the sales will call up a developer and say, is feature XYZ done? And the engineer will be like, yeah, it's done. I did it six months ago. But I always question, is something really done if it's not delivering customer value? And so we're trying as an organization, trying to make sure that as an engineering team, we may get something to code complete maybe released onto production, but our job doesn't really end there. We still have to get it in customers' hands. We have to get it delivering customer value. And so I'm trying to get developers to not say something's done, but rather it's code complete or it's delivering customer value. Do you guys see yourselves changing things up after they're done, you know, quote, quote unquote, done after it's deployed and maybe it's not delivering the value you wanted it to? Do you see yourselves changing that up on the fly? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the other thing is we talk about is product health rather than tech debt or bugs or something. So we kind of classify all that together as product health. And so we always want to make sure that whatever feature or product we work on has a health level that's at a certain way. And so, yeah, sometimes we release things and it doesn't work right or customer feedback's wrong. And so that means the product health is low and we got to work to increase that. And we take that responsibility conjointly with the product team and marketing and sales to get that high. Nice. And so with the change in vocabulary, does that help the culture along? Or what do you think the reason is for having that change in vocabulary? Yeah, it helps the culture. It helps make sure people are talking along the same lines and understanding each other, sales and support and marketing and product. We all have a common understanding of customer value. And then not saying tech debt, I think it's more of a positive. (laughs) Yeah, totally. People think tech debt is such a negative, but it's, it's not, right? It can be. But at a lot of times, it's a very positive thing. It allowed us to grow and and continue our success. And of course, we need to monitor it and improve it and that. But it's more of a positive and optimistic outlook. When you said that about this is the system or the product's health, the thing that first popped into my mind was if you get some sort of injury and go to the doctor, the question that the nurse, the doctor generally asks you is, rate your pain on a scale of one to 10, right? Where's your pain level? And that's sort of arbitrary and difficult to really gauge. Do you ever do that sort of an exercise talking about health with your customers saying, where do you think the health of this product is right now? Because you mentioned it's related to bugs, it's related to the systems. Where do you see that fitting? And how would you use that kind of terminology, if at all, with customers? I don't know if we'd use any real different terminology with customers. We use just internally, we track support tickets Mm -hmm. from our customer support team. And so we have a feature that was released, but still has a high support load. And so we consider that unhealthy. The other thing we track really religiously is our MPS score. Yeah. And we're really proud of our MPS score as a company. Right now, it's at 74, which is world-class levels. That takes a whole company effort to maintain that high MPS score. Fantastic. Going back to the vocabulary, I think another one of those developer words we use a lot is legacy code. Mm. And I think that tends to get kind of a bad rap. And everybody probably 
writes code that they would rather change in the oh, future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're not embarrassed with, by what you wrote six months ago, <laughs> you're not learning and improving, right? Yeah. The other thing is to remember context, right, of when a year ago somebody wrote code, you don't know the context of what, why they were writing it that way from oh, yeah. a year ago. Yeah, there's a lot so, of context. I've written code in Simple Nexus going on seven, eight years. People still pull up my commits and uh, <laughs> they'll make fun of me. That's <laughs> great. That's great. I've learned with the rest of them. So Yeah. I think being a leader like that, where you started out early on and then you have new people coming in and maybe talking a little bit about your legacy code, sure. right? It takes a very humble person to be able to take that feedback and just let it roll off their shoulder. Yeah. And I was also kind of stalking your Twitter feed, and <laughs> I saw a video where you were talking along the lines of humility that you guys tend to think of yourselves as blue-collar workers. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you yeah, speak yeah. to my, that. <laughs> my VP of engineering, you know, he came on last summer, and he's like, you know what really sets Simple Nexus engineering department apart is we're blue-collar workers. Not that we're out in the snow working, I mean, but we really, the, it's the mentality that we have, right? We really want to get down in the trenches down and help the support team, help the sales team. Our developers handle second and third tier support. We cover the phones when the support team has an offsite activity. We go to trade shows with the salespeople just so that we can be down in the trenches. It's about one of our company values is empathy. And yeah. so that's really what we're aiming for. That's awesome. Kind of brings everybody back down to earth and be practical and, and helpful to everyone. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I'm just thinking about what you just said, that your engineering team becomes second and third tier support sometimes. Your engineers complain about that because as an engineer, and I know that I've worked with several, that's beneath them. And you ever get that sense? And maybe it's back to your blue collar, but what do you have to say about that? Are your engineers really thinking that way? Yeah. An engineer doesn't like the constant interruption of support tickets coming in. Yeah. But we do that, one, to help them feel empathy with the customer support team and our customers. But two, the engineer is in the best position to actually make the pain go away. So the second or third time that ticket comes over, that developer, I guarantee you, is in there in the code fixing it so it never happens again because they don't want to feel the pain. So it's just it's a way to promote the empathy. I love that. Yeah, yeah no kidding. That's awesome. And that blue collar mentality, I think that's really cool. Was that just because you think sometimes somebody comes in and just says, hey, we're going to change the culture, so I'm going to put a moniker on this. But it sounds like that really was the, the makeup of your team. Yeah, that's who we've been since day one. And, you know, back to the blue collar, we actually have some shirts that are kind of that style we mm -hmm. have, and they've got patches on the, in the, with our names on them. And so we wear them around the office. And so, for instance, today, one of the teams was doing a QA-a-thon, we call it. And so they were all gathering together as a whole team and really putting a new feature through its paces. And they were all wearing their blue collar shirts, you know, with their names on it, <laughs> digging in. They were taking over a conference room. That's who we are. That reminds me of those uh, Banyan hoodies that yeah. had kind of the auto worker. Yeah, it looked like your mechanics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's <laughs> that little patch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yep. So developers, a lot of us have a hard time checking our egos at the door. So I think that's a really cool mentality to come in. I'm just here to help, you know? Yep. yep. Another problem sometimes you run into with, with personnel, maybe, you know, maybe you do have somebody that doesn't have that ego, but maybe they have a problem just struggling with tech and having a hard time fitting in with the team, not because of a culture problem, but just maybe an experience problem or maybe just a lack of confidence. Sure. 
what would you suggest or what do you do for that type of employee? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question. I'd like to think that everybody that comes in the door, we've put them through their paces and they're capable and experienced, but people struggle with different things. And that's about when it comes back to coaching, the one-on-ones, the mentorship model. And so we have a really strong internship program. And we currently are starting on Tuesday, seven interns for the summer. Wow. And our previous cohort of last summer all starts full time for us on Monday. The entire cohort? Yeah, there was like six of them. We have an internship (laughs) program director that's a developer and all the developers go recruit down at the colleges. We really pride ourselves on the hunger aspect and then the mentorship and coaching there. So Switching gears a little bit, you mentioned that you like to read. Tell us some of the books that you've read recently or what recommendations do you have for us? So we raised our first round of outside capital about a year ago. Since then, we went from an engineering team of about 10 or 12 people to about 50 now in our organization in 12 Mm -hmm. months. And so a lot of what I've been reading about is just trying to maintain our culture as a company is really important as a team. I also like to read a lot about systems thinking, like the theory of constraints and productivity. And so a couple of recent books we read together in a book club is The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim, (laughs) kind of taken off of the goal from Elliot Goldratt. That one, based on the theory of constraints and mapping out the value stream and tension and all of that is really interesting to me because, you know, the problem is you're scaling. Everybody kind of wants to maintain that velocity that you had when you were a small company, but with the big company. And that's what we're trying to do is maintain that small company feel, even though we went from 30 employees a year ago to about 110 today. Yeah, that scaling is one of the hardest problems, I think, for a growing company with dev teams in particular, because, you know, you have to worry about the code check-ins and the, yeah. and the deployments and whatnot. And, and you can really mess each other up if you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, from day one, we've been pretty good at the DevOps, quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. so we have continuous deployment, everything like that. We've been doing that since day one. And now there's still bottlenecks. If you remember the book, if you read the book, there's Brent and he's the bottleneck for everything. And so we really try to identify those bottlenecks. We've also been talking a lot about tension or introducing artificial constraints because we think we have a good process and we flow really well, but you will introduce artificial constraints or tension to the process helps you identify new bottlenecks. And so we scared some engineers the other day by saying, hey, no more branches. We're going to commit straight to master and it's going to go immediately out. (laughs) We had a bunch of them freak out, but really it's an exercise in how you would approach development, use feature flags, unit tests better, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just removing a lot of those fears to check in code and to deploy code. If you have something that's holding you back from wanting to deploy or wanting to commit code, there's a problem there, maybe sure. in the process, maybe in, and it's a problem to address, exactly, address yeah. those bottlenecks. Yeah. Another one along the same lines I've been reading is called the Project to Product by Mick Kirsten. They introduce the flow framework and they break down the flow distribution into four categories of features, defects, risks, and debts. And it's very interesting, you know, as we have a product that's used by tens of thousands of people and we also have new customers, we also have a product roadmap. And so how do you balance tech debt or product health versus new features and break down those categories while maintaining an efficient and high velocity organization. So pretty good one. Yeah, that's great. Dave, this has been a pleasure to have you here on the show with us today. Lots of things we've talked about today, I think resonate certainly with me just in my own career and really appreciate you being here and doing this with us. This is, I think this is really fun to do. Yeah, it's great to be here. I love talking technology. We're a Ruby on Rails shop, but we're kind of language agnostic. 
I love talking about AWS and cloud technologies, things like that. I love to connect with other uh, peers in the industry and in the community. So anybody who wants to reach out to me, I'm Dave at SimpleNexus.com. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah, <laughs> Easy to <Simple>. remember. <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, thanks for being with us again here at the Utah CTO Show. We appreciate you listening to us and hope those of you that have projects out there go out and launch them. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.